Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share. Hit that little bell for notifications. Do all that fun stuff. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, as I said, let's go into the breach. And we are very pleased and honored to be joined by a friend of the show, John Horvat. And for those of you who do not know John, I'm going to give a brief introduction. John Horvat II is a scholar, researcher, educator, international speaker, and author of the book, Return to Order, which is going to be the central focus of our discussion today. His writings have appeared worldwide, including in the Wall Street Journal, The Christian Post, American Thinker, The Blaze, Crisis, Fox News, and The Washington Times, as well as other publications and websites. He gives more than 150 radio and TV interviews annually. John is the vice president and a member of the board of directors for the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, family, and property, head of the TFP Commission for American Studies, and a TFP Sede Sepiente Institute instructor. Additionally, John Horvat is a member of the Association of Christian Economists, the Philadelphia Society, the National Association of Scholars, and the Catholic Writers Guild, as well as an Acton University participant. John Horvat, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Great to be back on the show. Excellent. John, we always begin with a prayer because all good things start with the prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, O Virgin Virgin, my mother. To you we come before thee as stands and form sorrowful. Mother, the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Let's rock and roll. Joe Restinello. John, um, I've heard you say this, and I think it's a very important statement. Changing the law without changing the culture will never work. Can you elaborate on that statement for us? Right. Uh, law is simply a manifestation of culture. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it is, the, those are the rules by which culture takes place. And so, you know, to, to, to simply put in laws without the culture following along, it is a type of, uh, it, it is an imposition. It, it leads to a type of government, which is a, a totalitarian government. It's, it's, that's a definition of a, of a, to, a totalitarian government. So you do need to follow the culture. The culture is what influences all the, the, all the institutions of a country, and especially, especially law. Um, I, I, I think, and, and you know, the, the church is one of, the, one of the, the best influences you can have on culture and law. 
And so you, you need that influence of the church. You need that influence of the church to influence the culture and then influence the law. That's what really really needs to happen if we're going to change um, our, our culture. You know, it's funny because I think what we're seeing now is people, they're trying to legislate morality. You can't mm-hmm. legislate morality. And that's kind of what you're talking about. That's why you need the church. Mm-hmm. That's why I love what your organization does. To be honest with you, Joe and I, uh, we borrowed one of the themes of your organization. We try to organize rosary rallies and mm-hmm. we're starting to get a good amount of people at them. We do it in front of churches, men. It's very important. Um, And that's why I believe, as well as I think you do, it's a spiritual battle. That's what's going to influence the culture, which downstream will be the politics, and that will also then influence the law. I think it's spot on. I think think what's also important there is that Mm -hmm. people seem to detach morality, or we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. detach the moral law from economic activity from business activity. It's what Joe and I like to call on the show, it's the Michael Corleone attitude. It's the, oh, it's not personal, it's just business idea. No, no, no. God's law governs all human activity. Right, human acts are by nature moral. And uh, so you na- you, na- you naturally, it, it has to involve a, a, a moral component and a religious component there. It's, it's you really can't have moral uh, human acts, at least, uh, you know, that are significant, that don't involve some kind of morality. Uh, it's, and that's what I think is lost, uh, largely lost in our culture, that acts are, for, the, for, for our culture, for our modern culture, acts are simply, you know, they are simply acts. They have no moral value. They have no moral teaching. And as a result, there, there are no morals, you know, <laughs> and we're in the situation we're in. It's funny, too, because you have one side of the political spectrum says that, that there's no morality when it comes to legis- uh, sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other side of the political spectrum that says, well, we don't need that when it comes to business. Mm-hmm. Seems like something's a, a little bit off kilter. John, in your book, you, you link two very interesting ideas, something I think that most people don't do. You say that there is a link between honor and money. How are they integrated? Well, I mean, I, I sort of put them in juxtaposition. Uh, honor is the uh, the esteem that one gives to that which is excellent. In, in, in a society where you have honor, excellence is valued and valued over money. Uh, and so as a result, all, all society raises up. It goes up, you know, upward, because you're always seeking that excellence. Money, by the, by on the on the other hand, is simply a it's it's it it it, it is a equalizer. It says, well, excellence really doesn't matter. What matters is the actual the the value, the the uh, the the numbers, the uh, the all these kind of things. So, there in a society where honor rules, money serves honor. In a society where money rules, honor is is thrown away. And so you need to have you need to have both. But of the two, honor is much more important. Honor is that which will uh, lead us toward that which is excellent, which will eventually lead us to God. And that, I think, links to our last point uh, regarding the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments is is honor God above all Mm. things and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you honor God above Mm. all things, you will then take care of those you're supposed to take care of, which is society itself, particularly those who have been gifted. Um, people, and I think this is something, because I've read your book, I think it's mm-hmm. a very important book, and people should read it. 
return mm -hmm. to order, all our listeners out there. It talks about those who've been given much, much as expected. And that's kind of what I get, this idea of if you are someone who are you're achieving, you're an achie you have a responsibility to the society. Could you talk right. a bit about that? Of course, yeah. And, you know, that has been pretty much the, the church's uh, teaching as far as charity. Charity is voluntary. You can't force people to be charitable. You can't say, you know, take away from the rich to give to the poor forcefully. But the church encourages people who have more and give to give more. And, you know, and, uh, you know, they, uh, the poor, they say, are, when you give to the poor, you lend to God. You're, you're giving to God. You're helping God. You're, uh, you're, uh, you're, you are helping all of society. So, yeah, there is that, that relationship. There is that necessary relationship. We need to have that uh, uh, charity and, and especially those who are, who are most gifted. But, of course, it has to be voluntary. It can't be oh, of course. Social, I, socialistic and confiscatory. Absolutely. What, I agree 100%. That's one of those things that really, really bothers me about some people, John, when, when they talk about, well, you know, Jesus was a socialist. It's like, yeah. no. You, you, got, you know, the first apostles, they were socialists. No, no, they hadn't heard of Karl Marx. Uh, no, 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 no. I just, I, I, I hate that argument. For those of you just joining us, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Way in the breach already, and we're only about 10 minutes into it with John Horvat, <laughs> author of Return to Order. Well, you know, speaking on that, I mean, like, that's, I think, the confusion when we talk politics in our society today, because many times the narrative of, of the left is, you know, we're helping the poor. First of all, the poorest among us are the children in the womb. There, mm -hmm. No one is poorer than mm -hmm. a child in the womb. That seems to be removed from the conversation. Mm -hmm. But just because I don't want to give through the state to help the poor doesn't mean I don't care about the poor. We're, we're saying that very clearly. Mm -hmm. I mean, those who've been given much, much is expected. I just don't replace God with the state. And that's right. what we're seeing. You know what I'm saying? And that's dangerous. We've seen it throughout society, and we've seen it repeated, the problems that that creates. Mm -hmm. Why do we want to create that problem again in America is beside me. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but this is what's mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, let's talk a little bit about uh, credit, John. This is something that you basically go into in detail in your book, Return to Order. Um, there's this term. It's called a credit card economy. Um, obviously, this is a commonly used phrase used today. We have seen the negative effects of this model across all segments of our society. In your book, you label this term uh, frenetic intemperance. Could you talk about that? Right. I mean, I when I was started to study economy, I, I you know I, I saw that there were a lot of criticism of our economy. It says you know unfettered capitalism, all these terms that were thrown out there, and and so the tendency was to throw the baby out with the the uh, with the the bathwater to say, well, all capitalism is wrong, all free markets are wrong because they do lead to these, these excesses, these types of things that are happening. And so I, I, I uh, said, well, I can't then write something criticizing the free market. The free market is not the problem. The problem is what I call the frenetic intemperance of our society. That is that desire to have everything now, instantly, without effort, without as the consequences, you know. And it is very much part of our culture to have this 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 frenetic intemperance that is an unreasonable you know it's it's it goes outside of reason it's a, it's just a frenetic desire for these things that we shouldn't have, and you know that's what throws our economy out of balance. It's not the actual system itself. It's this 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 uh, this characteristic that is so so um, um, harmful and you know destructive of our, our economy. Isn't it? 
does it strike you, John, that the reason why that happens is because we have a culture in general that suggests or, or proposes to people that whatever you want to do, do it, just do it. You know, Nike gets famous and makes tons of money by saying, just do it. Now that mm -hmm. doesn't just extend to, let's say the sexual arena. That's mm -hmm. also true in the economic arena. People are going out and they're impulse buying, usually with money they don't have to mm -hmm. buy things that they don't, they don't need. need. Yeah. Is that an example of, of what you're talking about when you talk about frenetic and the inability to control, in this case, your your passions, your, your mm -hmm. impulses to go out and buy things. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's definitely a good example. I mean, and it is something that is, has plagued our economy, modern economy, I sense, I, I believe since the, the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution just overthrew old structures and customs and ways of being and religious systems. You know, they say, well, we need to free ourselves from the, the, the physical, the spiritual, the religious restraints that kept society in balance. And, you know, it, it, kept, it uh, kept it temperate. And, and so the, the Industrial Revolution said, no, we just need to just overthrow all this. And, and, and it did, and it eventually led to those those cultural excesses, which you're talking about, which uh, came in the 60s that said, well, uh, if that applies to economy, that also applies to my, uh, my, my, uh, my moral life. It also applies to my uh, uh, physical desires. So, you know, that's what, that's what happened. I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Again, you could you could tell me if I'm wrong or you think I'm wrong. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that our credit card economy. Joe and I were kids mm. when, when I mean, if you had an American Express card and that you was were a, rich, you were, oh, you yeah, were yeah. that was a charge card. If you charged on it, you had to pay it at the end of the month. But right. as we got a little bit older, um, and I'm talking about let's say the late 1970s, the credit you know credit cards started to be very commonplace, and it mm. doesn't strike me as a coincidence. That, that happened very shortly after the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Destroy a person's ability or convince them that they don't need to have their reason control their passions in one area, mm -hmm. and then go ahead and do this, you know, let's say promote, really aggressively promote credit cards. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I don't see that as coincidence. What do, what do you think? Definitely not. No, it, it, it facilitates it. It makes it happen, you know. Uh, these they they credits. They, I mean, they just throw money at you. They throw credit cards at you so that you will be able to, to to do that and to get into debt. I mean, you're you're not that that doesn't come free. Uh, another manifestation of this frenetic intemperance would be to say, well, I I need to um, to to uh, re get rid of the restraints of my nature. So transgenderism, all these types of things, to say, well, I want to be what I identify as. So you know, just get rid of that. And it's it's a, it's a it's a crazy, it's a crazy way of, of doing it because it denies reality. You know, it's funny because I also remember a time when people would buy things on basically layaway. You know, you mm. bought a couch. Oh, 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 yeah. you know, I don't you, think I've heard that word in like <laughs> 40 years. I mean, like, yeah. you didn't have the money and you say, yeah. okay, I'll put a little bit down and then yeah. I'll pay yeah. it back. Um, you know, I, I, I work in banking. So, I mean, I see this in front of my face every day. I, mm -hmm. I don't think the American society understands what compound interest does to people. Yeah. They don't get it. They just don't get it. As you mm -hmm. said, John, rightly, they don't give you anything for free. Mm -hmm. 
right thing you know that hundred dollar dinner becomes a hundred and eighty dollar dinner when you pay it off over time (laughs) but people don't understand they just don't grasp that no no and i think this is on both sides sadly of the aisle because no one stops it because this is what's driving the economy our economy would would come not to a halt but it would definitely decrease Mm -hmm. the democrats don't want to do that and nor do the republicans Mm -hmm. The stock market would go down. Mm-hmm. It would collapse, but we'd have yeah. a real market. We don't have a real market. It's, right. it's basically a bubble. And right. again, people just don't understand that mm-hmm. because it's all like it's not tangible cash. It's mm-hmm. it's credit driven. And I think at the root of it, and this is my idea, um, mm-hmm. people don't know who they are. Why do I need these things? Mm-hmm. Some of these things at the root of it, and, and this is what you, I think you were speaking to pre, you know, industrial revolution, mm-hmm. life was simpler. You mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't matter whether mm-hmm. you were a blacksmith or you were the town barrister, you mm-hmm. lived amongst the community, you served the community, you served the church. Mm-hmm. Now it's a show. Everything's mm-hmm. a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember, Joe, you're free. and i think that's the truth then we become slaves nothing is is more um i guess like imprisoning than debt i mean like and yet if if problems occur in our society monetary problems people don't have the money i wonder Mm -hmm. why i mean like it it, like some of these answers are very simple it's Mm -hmm. just not addressed properly well john you did say the economy is not the problem it's the symptom of the problem Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit Right. I mean, when you talk about a lot of these problems, people like to turn it into material things or to, uh, you know, to make it uh, as concrete as possible. But and it should. But I mean, it's uh, anytime you deal with human actions, you're dealing with morals and moral, moral. And a lot of these things are moral problems. They are moral problems. They are a uh, problem that deals with right and wrong. You know, what's true and what's false. Uh, and the tendency of modern society is to say there are no moral problems, there is no right and wrong, there is something that works or it doesn't work. But uh, you know, it's it's it, they reduce it to utilitarian things and not to the actual uh, real dimensions of it, which will eventually catch up with you, as you were saying. You know, these 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 things may work in the in the short term, but in the long term, they lead to problems that uh, destroy the person, destroy the economy, destroy the culture. I mean, you could look. A great example of that was the mortgage crisis. It began mm-hmm. with Clinton. He took away Glass Steagall, mm-hmm. then it went into Bush. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that if you make fifty thousand dollars a year, you can't buy a six hundred thousand dollar house with a balloon mm-hmm. payment mortgage. Anybody who did that, frankly, wasn't thinking properly. And they found that mm-hmm. out the hard way. The government mm-hmm. permitted it. And the mm-hmm. banks permitted it. So it's mm-hmm. a threefold prong. Everyone shut their eyes and pretended like everything was okay. We almost right. tanked our whole country because right. of it. Right. Oh, no, it's exactly that. And it is a moral problem because it's it's not a financial, you know, just a equation that's, you know, just went wrong. It, it was because people re- refused to accept responsibility, refused to admit this is wrong, refused to, you know, all these kind of things because it, 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 it you know, if you lived in a society which was well ordered and well organized, those kind of things won't happen. They can't happen. You know, it's it's you know the the system is built in so it won't happen. But they, they, this frenetic intemperance says let's just destroy all these all these things and allow these things to happen. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello having a fascinating conversation with John Horvat from uh, Tradition Family and Property. John, along those same lines, um, you say the economy must feed the soul. What does that mean? 
right? We, we like to think of, of economy in terms of units of production, units of uh, you know, what, what you produce. And uh, yeah, you need those things. You, we can't, we need to consider uh, quantity, but quality is also a very important part of economy. Uh, quali quality is something that is much more spiritual than, than physical. Uh, when you when you appreciate quality, you appreciate beauty, you appreciate true things, you appreciate things that uh, have have value, you know that 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 come from the soul. And these kind of things are very important in economy. And I, I think we we uh, to our detriment, we we emphasize the other. Say, well, we just want something that works, something that's there, something that uh, is it it it, it could be ugly. Well, those kind of things have effect on our soul. Ugly things have effect on our soul. They ugly things lead to ugly deeds, ugly lives, ugly everything. So, the the spiritual aspect is very important, and the church always emphasized that. The church always built beautiful things, did beautiful things, and encouraged beautiful things, and and that uh, leads to a a, a, be a more a, a better fulfillment of one's life. A physical fulfillment of one's life is an animal existence. If you have a uh, the spiritual aspect. Uh, you get the angelic. You go all the way to the angelic. You go to the more beautiful things. You, you talk about in your book, like uh, you you reference the guilds when people craft things, like you mm -hmm. say, doing something with pride. It, it meant something to them. Like say, for instance, I don't know, you you uh, you were a blacksmith and you made something with your own hands, and you also discuss, which I think is interesting. Um, the gap that has been created from the producer to the consumer. Right, yeah. That, exactly. that is very important. I think our economies have to, to focus on, you know, it's subsidiarity, smaller mm. economies. Talk about that, because I thought that was a very unique perspective that you just don't hear anymore. Yeah, no, originally, I mean, uh, before the Industrial Revolution, uh, economies were more, uh, were there was a unity between the consumer and the producer. That the the producer simply uh, used to adjust his uh, adjust his products to the to the consumer. You know, you go into the restaurant, and someone says, "Well, why don't you do this?" And then so they 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 make a, a new dish as a result of that. And so uh, the 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 the, cre the producer and the consumers were co were co-creators of the products. Today, you know, they just throw a product out there and say, take it or leave it. You know, uh, Apple says we don't do consumer research. We just we put it out there and you take it. You and you don't really don't have a choice. And so, uh, you know, you lose that link. And that link is, is part of culture. You know, once you separate that link, you know, the, the, the producer produces what he wants. The, the consumers are, are sort of are, are out there. They don't have that that real uh, uh let's say, zeal for that product or desire for that product or loyalty to that product, you know. So, you know, it, it is, uh, that link is very important, the link between the consumer and the producer and the locality. Locality is also a very important part so that uh, places become distinctive as a result of, uh, of, of this interchange of, of the three. And you have a culture, you really have culture. I think, I think it's so important to tell our listeners out there at the Veritas Catholic Network, especially people who are of around our age we've experienced that in our lives mm -hmm. this is not some you know bygone era mm -hmm. in the 1970s and the 1980s most of your shopping most of the things you needed for your life were done mm -hmm. locally mm -hmm. you needed a piece of meat you went to the butcher mm -hmm. you needed shoes there was a shoemaker up on roseville avenue in newark Mm -hmm. The pharmacist was right next to him. It wasn't CVS and Walgreens. 
Right. You only yeah, went yeah. to the supermarkets when you had to get, let's say, a lot of a particular product, like cans of tomatoes for all the Italians <laughs> out there. All right. But everything was done locally. And as to your point, John, you knew the person selling you that product. You mm -hmm. knew the person providing that product or that service for you. They mm -hmm. weren't in, in Washington State, okay, mm -hmm. or Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Okay, they were around the corner on 8th Street. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that I think we, look, it's not something we could snap our fingers and get back to. No, no, but, no. But we really, I think, as, particularly as Catholic men, need to get out there and emphasize, no, I know I'll spend a couple more bucks buying that product that my wife wants locally, but that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to do and screw Amazon, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. no, that's what we, and, and I use them as an example because that's what we're caught up in. We need mm -hmm. to get back and close that gap that you guys were just talking about between the producer and the consumer. And we do that by making the deliberate decision to mm -hmm. start to shop locally for the things that we need and support local businesses, even if it costs an extra couple bucks. And John, you talked about building culture, and this is another illustration I thought you did uh, a really good job with in the book. You talked about, like, say, like in Spain, certain cheeses because of the herbs that are, say, encrusted on the cheese. Mm -hmm. That's something that's wonderful, and it's unique with all parts of, of, of any co country, you, mm -hmm. you know, where you live versus, say, where we live. You know, different breads different meats cured this different types of beer mm -hmm. like this is beautiful and it makes it a, for a, for a, an integrated i think wonderful society We're, we've lost that everything is the same you know you go to walmart whether you live in arkansas mm -hmm. or you live in new york state you get the same thing mm -hmm. um it's cold it's not personal right it there has to be a return to that with that said, I mean, you you provide an organic Christian solution. Talk mm -hmm. to that a little bit, because I think people are thirsting for something different. I could speak for myself. I am. Right. Organic Christian society is a society which um, has those links, those natural links inside society. It's very personal, personal and very uh, person-driven, natural leaderships. Uh, it, uh, it is very much what we had in Christendom. Christendom was a, a development of an organic Christian society. It was, so, it's, it was something that was not imposed or legislated or regulated into existence. It was something that grew out of uh, virtuous people living in, virtue, uh, in society in virtue. And as a result, the, the culture flourished. And, and that, that is where we need to go back to, the, the idea of of, of so many, uh, there are so many ideas of the whole section of the book is, is dedicated to organic Christian society and how, you know, these, these types of associations of family, community, faith, uh, intermediate associations, uh, representative characters, all these are aspects of a society where um, people live together and, um, and so, sought after that excellence, you know, and, and they had those links together that kept society in order, kept it in balance, and kept it in temperate, kept it temperate. Would you would you think that when you have a society like that, because I, what I want you to do, John, we have a couple minutes, you probably won't get into the whole thing uh, mm -hmm. before the break, but I really, this is important for our audience to know. Juxtapose what you just said with the socialist worldview, which in, in our view, again, John, correct us if we're wrong, it, 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 it seeks and sows division Amongst yeah, people. See, what you just did was you just outlined um, a way where society 
has has links. You talk about the, mm -hmm. these links. There's a unity. Okay, right. there are differences in people. There are different stations in life, but there's a unity. There's one person needs another. Okay, mm -hmm. socialism divides. Exactly. Divides. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean the basic premise of, of socialism is class struggle. That there is there are just two classes that the the oppressing oppressive classes, and so their whole narrative is written in that in that uh, in that in that that framework. Uh, it's very much like um, um, what do you call it? Race theory now. Critical race theory is the same. You know, it's, it just changes the 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 prism, but it's it is this idea of division. Society is division. And uh, the Christian society is uni unity. Everybody sought unity. They wanted unity. They were united in their beliefs. They were united in their religion. They were united in their families. And uh, modern society says, no, everybody's, every, you know, we, we have all these divisions. It's the war of every man against every man, as Hobbes said. You know, everybody's fighting against each other. Everyone's looking after their own interests. And, uh, you know, and, this, and a society can't exist like this. It's funny, I was, I was, Doing some research about police, and you know, police are police are a relatively modern uh, invention. Say, 19th century, New York Police Department was founded in 1844. Before that, they didn't have police, but they had a lot of structures, self-policing structures in society that kept the peace and allowed the society to function. So that when there were major disturbances, there were, uh, you know, there were some kind of security forces that kept the, kept the order. But for the most part, there were not. Uh, they didn't need that type of supervision that we need today. Mm. So let's take a let's take a break for a minute. Uh, you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello. And man, are we in the breach with John Horvat, <laughs> vice president and member and board of directors of the American Society for Defense of Tradition, Family and Property, and author of the book that we're discussing today, Return to Order. For all you good Catholics out there, remember there is a different way. You don't have to listen to the left. You don't have to listen to the right. We emphasize on the show. How about this for a novel idea? Let's listen to the church because the church has a definite teaching on this going back a very long time. So we're going to take a break with that. You're listening to Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube and all our social media. You can find us at either Frontline TV Frontline with Joe and Joe. We'll be back in a minute. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, way in the breach with John Horvat, and we are discussing his book, Return to Order. And with that, I'm handing it over to Joe Resinello. John, in the other segment, we talked a little bit about the Industrial Revolution, how it introduced the rule of money into the world. Um, obviously, when that happened, the idea of temperance was replaced by unfettered capitalism. John Paul II rightly uh, stated to Poland when communism fell that while obviously communism was destructive and is destructive, he also said that we have to be leery of unfettered capitalism. Actually, the way he, he phrased it was capitalism without moral boundaries. Mm -hmm. Clearly, that cannot be legislated. 
and that mm-hmm. is what we were talking about a little bit on the other seg in the other segment. Um, that's learned in the family, frankly. Mm-hmm. I look. I, I mean, I come from very simple stock, Southern Italian roots. My father mm-hmm. had a one-person barber shop. Mm-hmm. Um, we bought what we. If you had $10, you spend $10. I mm-hmm. could say this, I'm 50 years old. I have never carried a credit card balance in my mm-hmm. entire life. Mm-hmm. And, God bless you. And I could, <laughs> and I can, if I wanted to. I oh, could. yeah, that's very easy. But the thing is, my father and mother didn't live that way. My mother was right. a secretary. My father was a, a barber. You know, it was a simple way. Mm-hmm. And I believe that could only be taught in the home by having children. You learn to share. There's certain mm-hmm. things you can't learn by just reading. I mean, mm-hmm. I've read, I, I, you know, I went to graduate school. John, you, you have, you know, advanced degrees. You studied extensively. So has Joe. But there's mm-hmm. certain things you learn by living. You grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah. about that, how temperance is learned in the family, and then that will bleed into our lives. It'll bleed into our economy. Well, definitely. I mean, that's part of an organic Christian society is that uh, those those virtues, those uh, necessary uh, lessons that you need in, in history are are the, are there and they are they are they are infused so to speak you don't you don't and that's what's so missing today because it's not there they're just not taught anything along that line uh, it's and so um it, when I say it in, in return to order, is those institutions are very important. They aren't. They are not determinative because we don't believe in fate. We don't. You know, the uh, the uh, the socialist mentality says that the structures of society make people who they are. Uh, you know, and you can't really do anything about it. So you know, these the class struggle is is something that's uh, that determines your behavior. We are free beings. It doesn't determine our behavior, but it definitely does influence and definitely does make it very, it is very important. And we have to have those things in society. God put those things in society for us to, to help us in our journey toward our final goal, which is not economic production, but sanctification. It is to, to get to heaven. Amen. And, and that's, that's, not, that's not taught today, obviously. It's all, all very uh, uh, material. It's all very oriented towards self, so self-gratification. And that is, a, that is a dead end. It's not going to lead anywhere. It's going to dead lead. end is right. A, that's yeah. the best way to describe it. It doesn't get us at, look at where it's gotten us. Mm-hmm. Nobody can honestly say that because the, stock, because the Dow Jones Industrial Average is at 33,000, mm-hmm. that people out there are, le- are leading good and prosperous lives or that we have a healthy economy right now. If you say that, I don't care how many degrees you have on the wall. You don't know what you're talking about. This cannot hold up. People right. might be feeling a little bit. Go ahead, John. Talk yeah, about. Yeah, and they're, they're not only are they not uh, they're not prosperous, but they're not happy. You know, that's the important thing. The happiness is is something that is uh, you know is very elusive in today's society because we don't live according to our nature. Our nature is what determines how we are to, if we are to be happy. You know, uh, if we live according to the the Ten Commandments, which are rules, and above all, the First Commandment, which is the which is our our, our supreme end, uh, then we will be happy to the degree that we can be happy in this veil of tears. You know, it's we're never going to be completely happy, but and that is a that is something that really really uh, um, upsets. Let's say the other side. They say, well, no, I want to be happy. I want everything now, instantly, um, and uh, even when they get everything now, instantly. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. You know what, real quick, Joe, you know what it is, John, the way I see it, and I think about this a lot. I'm happiest when I'm at peace. I'm not happiest when 
I'm, uh, or let's say I'm able to go and buy that new product, okay, mm -hmm. uh, or, or get more things or necessarily make more money. When I'm happy, and I think I could speak for a lot of people, I, I, I think what we want and what really makes us happy is peace. If I go out and work and I have security for my wife, for family, for everything else, then I'm at peace. And when I'm at peace, I'm happy. Really, I mean, in a, in a true sense. Mm -hmm. And running around, as you described, just you know, frenetically intemperate. Mm -hmm. I need this, I need that. I got to get another $5,000 raise from my boss because I got to go out and buy this. That's when the chaos sets in. And that is not going to lead to happiness. Go ahead, Joe. No, but you were talking like you was reminding me of Augustine. You know, the heart does not rest until it rests in thee. And that's mm -hmm. some, an idea. I think it's in our soul naturally. You know, God put it there because he loves all of us. We have to realize that. Sadly, you know, we keep doubling down and tripling down. Mm -hmm. um, but until society or American society understands that, um, frankly, I, I don't see an end to this. Um, I, I know, like you've written in your book, and I agree, it's all going to fall apart. Like mm -hmm. you, you used the reference of the prodigal son. The mm -hmm. prodigal son came home, mm -hmm. and then things had to start again. Um, Joe and I, and I know you are as well, we're trying to stop that because <laughs> no one wants to, you know, to eat the, the pods for the pigs. I don't, right. Right. you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, I'm not digging that you either. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, we have to kind of stop that. Right. But, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of individualism. It's the idea that the individual is the center. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a common idea of the 21st century. I think it's it's deeply rooted in Americanism. Um, but I think it's also important before we even bridge into that subject, you know, God created us to be individuals. We're all different, just like in a family. But when it's but when properly uh, viewed, basically, the individual, while different, contributes to the greater good. Sadly, our American society twisted this ideal. Our, our culture encourages and promotes, and many universities teach this, something that the individual, like, it's a twisted or distorted version of the individual. Talk about that, like, in, in, in the, uh, the Christian view of what the individual truly is and how he should basically be integrated with the culture. Yeah, individualism, uh, well, I think we may need to make the distinction between individuality and individualism. Individuality is where a person develops his qualities and his talents and allows himself to be to, to, uh, you know, to, to go where he needs to go. And, th and that is something very good and necessary, and, and, God, and God wants that. But individualism is the desire to put yourself at the center of things, and, and it really doesn't, morality doesn't make any difference in the, in, the, in the case of individualism. It's just what I want, and if it's good or if it's bad, it's, it's what I want, and you know, I just do it as the 60s said. And so this is something that, that, came, that, that is largely a product of modern civilization. It goes back to the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment destroyed the links that existed between man and, uh, between the man and his family and his community and his church. You know, I, 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 I cited in the book uh, Thomas Jefferson who said, you know, after 20 years, you should just sort of uh, break your link with, with your parents because you're on your own now. You don't really need to. It's like the animal that's, you know, they after they're, after they're, uh, they're young or grow up, they, they could care less about what happens to their other things. So that was very much in, in vogue in, in, in the American founding and in the, at the time of the American founding, this, this enlightenment vision of the individual the fulfillment of the individual, the desire that the, that the individual is everything. Whereas the Catholic view is that the individual is important, but the individual, 
reaches his full realization with interaction with others. We are social beings. And it's only through the through our interaction with others that we we go, we, we reach our highest potential, and especially with the family and the community and the church, you know. So these, these that's why it's so important. And this idea of just, well, I'm, uh, you know, making everybody the individual and, and not having those links, it, it, it will necessarily be frustrating because we are contingent beings. We, we can't, we don't have everything in ourselves to reach our final goal or final or our full potential. But isn't that learned in the family? I mean, you, if you have mm. a family, you know, you think about your cousins, say your mm. siblings, all are different, you know, mm -hmm. different academic, you know, analytical abilities. Some are physically stronger than others. Some are good with their hands. Some are not. But if a family is integrated properly, each has something to do from the most sophisticated to the most simple. And that's what's broken down. I think of my own family, mm -hmm. people who have achieved great things. Like my grandfather was very industrious. Mm -hmm. He took care of people. My grandfather would buy, you know, a, instead of buying a, a big house for himself, he would buy a three-family house, and he'd have, like, my mother's, si you know, <laughs> sister lived there, this one. He took care of people. Mm -hmm. This is what's not there anymore. Right, it's right. There, no one cares. You know, just because, you know, like, you know, say one brother does this and the other brother does this, both have a role to play. You know, but that's gone, John. One thing right. that John said that 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 I think is important to emphasize to people um, is that you mentioned the Enlightenment, John. Mm -hmm. My view of that is those people who are proponents of the Enlightenment, they're the Dark Ages. No, they <laughs> represent the Dark Age. The light was pre-Enlightenment. Right. You see the way they've twisted it. We're the enlightened ones. We know how everything works. Not that, not that superstitious Catholic Church. I would much rather live in Northern Italy during the Middle Ages than mm. live in America today. Mm. Because, because and, and I mean that, I, we love our country. We yeah. are not America bashers. This is not the way life is supposed to be. Right. It, it really isn't. And it goes mm. to what, you, you know, particularly you brought up and what Joe was bringing up about ties that bind. Mm. We need to rebind those ties because they've been loosened by the Enlightenment. But mm. let me... Um, let me move on real quick because it's an important part of your book where you talk about representative characters. I think it's important to, to talk about that with our listeners, men and women who are natural leaders who focus on sacrifice. Ooh, there's a naughty word, John. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice for the common good. Sadly, what we see today is the opposite. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right. Um, sociologists acknowledge, they say that there are, uh, in every society, there are those people who stand out and who uh, embody what what people want in society. They interpret the desires of society and they lead society. A leader is not someone who says, I want it this way, it's my way, and that if you don't like it, get out of here and you know we'll just do it. We just uh, you know do what uh, you do what I say. A real leader does, he interprets, he sees where things are going and he channels the the good parts of that society. To, uh, to where it needs to go, to a, to a higher level. I mean, the, uh, the example is a, is a uh, orchestra leader. He, he doesn't just say, I, I want it like this. He sees, he, he's able to measure the talents and abilities of those in the orchestra. He blends them together. He pushes them all together and, and, and allows them to, to, to produce a masterpiece, where, which they could not do it on, on their own. And so what we need is in society are these representative characters. There are people, they are what 
is is normally called elites. You know, there's a lot of very anti-elites uh, sentiment in America today, and and it's largely because there are false elites and also bad elites. But society needs elites because you know, in the final analysis, who's going to get things done? Who's going to direct things? Who's going to unify and harmonize? Those are the qualities that are that elites have and are able to do. You know, any teacher, any professor, any any good any, any good CEO, they have these qualities and they are able to do that. And you know, we need to recognize that and, and and to be those elites, not to say, well, yeah, we need elites, let them do it, they will do it, you know, but no, we ourselves have certain qualities or certain abilities in certain places where we we are, you know, have uh, exist, uh, where we have authority, where we can be we can be those representative characters that are are so necessary for society. I mean, you gave examples of like astronauts. You gave examples in your book of like people who were in the military who achieve things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the in, like the good has become bad and the bad has become good. People idolize things now that are horrible. Mm -hmm. and that's who's getting pushed ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, our society, if you look at all our representatives, I mean, you know, we vote for them. You know, mm -hmm. like, think about that. I, I mean, I say that to people all the time. We vote for these people. Mm -hmm. And is this the best we have? I mean, mm -hmm. gosh, I know people who are crossing guards that live better lives, frankly. Mm -hmm. Some of the people that have humongous responsibility in America. Um, and again, I think that comes back to the smallest cell of society. It's it's families. It's It's directed towards God. People achieving, like you talked about, honor. Mm -hmm. What's honorable today? The mm -hmm. word is laughed at. It's scoffed at. What's honorable sure. today is how much you have in your bank book. That, that, <laughs> that's what's honorable. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, Way in the Breach on the Veritas Catholic Network with author John Horvat, who, who has written the book Return to Order, which is what we're discussing here today. But let's talk about solutions, John. I mean, obviously, your book is, is about like resetting the clock getting a real reset yes Wait, I got, uh, he said that joe you not, triggered me joe i'm, I'm triggered not, not, all the, of you not the great reset the great reset yeah. the real reset yeah well it's, yeah. God, it's god's reset yes, yes, getting yes. back to the fundamentals faith family community um the model uh, for our nation should be that of family you know mm -hmm. We talked about that, everyone having a different gift, but still working towards, you know, the greater good. Let's talk about those, like, fundamentals, John. How do we get there? Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. It's There's no push-button solution to this problem. I think, you know, that everybody wants the push-button solution. They want the five-part action plan that will, that will get us back, bring us back to where we, where we need to be. But I, I, one of the, the first step is to understand where we need to go, and that was pro, that was one of my um, goals in Return to Order. You know, to say, well, we a lot of people know where we don't want to go. They know we don't want abortion. They know we don't want socialism. We don't want, don't want this or that. But many people, if you to, to you know put them against the wall, they don't know where we where we do want to need to go. Yeah, it, and so you know they're fighting. They're doing a lot of great fighting against the, the evils of the day. But when it comes to where we, you know, what's the ideal, they don't have that idea. So that was my uh, my, my my one of my goals. Um, you know, they it, the a metaphor they might use to say, well, it's like a doctor who's who's fighting diseases and he doesn't know what a healthy body is. You know, he's not going to be a good doctor. He he may be able to fight the disease, but 
he needs to have that ideal of what that that society is. And so uh, that I think that is that is a first step, you know, to say, well, what kind of society is possible, you know, and and was possible and did exist, you know. I and mean, we're not talking about some theoretical thing. We're talking about return, something that was, you know, we're we're returning to. We're not talking about a super plan that most, you know, all these sociologists love to do. They like to construct these super complicated models that really don't, you know, that, that, that have never been really tested or, or, you know, come from their own heads. But we're talking about something that existed and, and, and was successful and did lead to, to the practice of virtue, which was Christendom, which was Christian civilization. It wasn't perfect. But it did did uh, lead to that that society that uh, you know that is very much according to our nature. John, you know something that you've particularly inspired me to do, and Joe is the Rosary rallies, and this is why I love your organization because mm-hmm. you infuse grace in it. And and one on your banner, which we use when we mm-hmm. do a Rosary round, it says basically, I'm summarizing it. It's like man's like 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 basic like actions have failed. We have to turn to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that is the solution. I'm going to be honest with you. It's Our Lady. And mm-hmm. you guys pray to her and like like through TFP constantly. And Joe and I are starting to basically do that as well. And we're trying to gather men together to pray the rosary. Ideally, I think like, well, not even ideally. I mean, we see it. The problems are so big. Mm-hmm. I learned this through the Trump uh, administration. Basically, you know, I think a lot of Americans put so much hope in this man. Mm-hmm. And he's just a man. Mm-hmm. Like it's bigger than us. And I do believe through the Blessed Mother, anything can happen. I actually believe that. Well, Mexico mm-hmm. was converted. Right. Know, yeah. Guadalupe. Listen, <laughs> Mexico was in pretty bad shape. I know this is politically <laughs> incorrect. You when the Aztecs rule things, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, in yeah. ten years, I mean, if Mexico could be converted, and listen, let's face it, they were involved in human sacrifice, child yeah. sacrifice, all sorts oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, evil. Uh, and I know people don't like to hear it. You know, we kill tens of thousands of babies a day in America. Mm-hmm. You know, through abortion. Joe's right. Talk about that. The need. I guess where you were going it's was the, the need for God, need for grace. Grace. Yeah. No. Grace is a very important thing because uh, when we talk about sociology and those these uh, these very natural fields in which we work, uh, we talk about what's humanly possible, and then you say, "Well, let's and uh, and, and a lot of people leave it there." And and you we need to consider grace. Uh, grace is the creative participation in the uncreated life of God, which in which we participate in His in His in His life. But the, the, the concrete effects of grace are the, that God in, it comes into our souls and strengthens, that illuminates our intellect, strengthens our wills, and, and, tempers, and tempers our sensibilities. So that we're able to do things that human nature in itself would not able to do. So it, it sort of levels the playing field a lot in that sense because we are able to do things that are, are divine or have divine characteristics, you know. So it is a very, very important part of the equation. If you leave that out, you're left with, with a, a, you know, a, a very nice plan, but you don't have the actual means to carry it out. When God's grace works in, in a society and in, in souls, it's capable of enormous things. Just think of any conversion, you know, if you've, if you've converted or reverted. Uh, when, you, when you're in that period of conversion or reversion, you, you're able to overcome all obstacles. You just say, forget this. I throw this away. I do that. You know, they, people 
do and, uh, things that they normally say, well, I would never, I'd never be able to do that before. So grace is a very important part of the equation that needs to be considered. And, and so all the means of grace, is, uh, grace are, are there to help us. The sacraments, the, the, the rosary, the, sac the sacramentals, all these things are, are, are extremely important in, the, in a return to order. Without grace, it's, it's not possible. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd be the first to admit it, say, well, you take all the principles in a return to order and you, you apply them naturally, it's not gonna go anywhere. Try, you have to, the grace is needed, it's necessary, and God will, God will win, but God will support us if you, you know, if you call upon him, and it, and it is, uh, I think we, we need to always consider that. Jesus said, those who have eyes to see, see, and those who mm -hmm. have ears to hear, hear, and, and, and I think that the grace is necessary so that we have those eyes, and we mm -hmm. have those ears, because we, Joe mentioned something like the, our problems are so big mm -hmm. and there's such a, it's such a web. If you look at like we were talking about earlier, the sexual revolution and the economy and all this, mm -hmm. it's such a deep, dark web, but you have a greater ability to see the problems moreover to, to, to find solutions to the problems when you have those eyes to see. That's why mentioning the rosary and the need for grace, the need for sacraments, because not because we're special, mm. but because God is. Right. We're right. asking him for that grace to give us those eyes so at least we can see the problem. Now, what we do about it, okay, mm. is another step. But at the very beginning, you have to see there's a problem. That's mm. why I think it's important, John Horvat, that for you to come on the show and talk to the audience of the Veritas Catholic Network. We need to regain those eyes to see so that we can start to confront these problems. We have a few minutes left. I'm going to hand it back to Joe. And to all our listeners out there, get the book, Return to Order. John lays out a lot of good suggestions, a lot of good suggestions. Mm. But he also talked about something in the other segment that I love to hear people say is the goal of life is sanctification. I believe this is the most important thing we could do is to become holy. And it's within our, our the realm of every person mm. from the most, you know, like the smartest person in the room to the simplest person in the room. And, and Benedict XVI said, it's saints that change the world. I look at our examples, our own saints, Catherine of Siena, Francis, mm. they changed society because of holiness, one person. And that's again why I love your organization, John, because prayer is foundational. Mm -hmm. And this is something you also lay out as a solution in your book. The church has mm -hmm. to be the, the primary thing. You know, mm -hmm. we have elites in society, but they're not anchored in the church. Mm -hmm. The elites have to be anchored in the church and be held accountable to the teachings of the church. We don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. That has to return. And it, and I think it will if mm -hmm. people see holiness and that could be done. I, I sincerely believe that we can do that. Your thoughts on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those are, that's definitely, uh, um, the, you know, uh, words can, um, influence but examples draw they draw a person they drag the person they they really that's what really brings the changes people people change people when words help they were they they may inspire but they're not the main thing so we need to we we are the uh we we have to be out there and we have to be in the public square we have to you know to to be examples that will uh, will inspire i mean and it, and it and they do inspire you know we we should not underestimate the the uh 
the the value of a of a good example. The funny the, the thing is too is like one thing we could stop doing, all right. And even though look, we we're Italian, we love Rocky. Okay, <laughs> stop looking for examples. Those those who pull us, John, mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Okay, um, yes, literature and art is great for that. Okay, but as Joe mentioned. But we have the best representative characters. We have the saints. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. We have those who, by their example, and if we if we learn more about the saints, we see, as Joe was mentioning, how society can change by changing ourselves. The ultimate subsidiarity. Start mm-hmm. with yourself. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And then and then move out, you know, move out from there. So let's stop looking at popular culture so much. Yeah. Let's start looking to our own tradition. We have about, John, about three minutes left. I know Joe had one final question about TFP. Tell everybody what your organization does, um, John, because you are involved in the culture. Um, tell you know everybody like what it's about, what you guys do, because I think you're a good mix of the intellect, action, prayer, you know, and then the practical. Talk about that, because I think this is something that we all can do in our little way. Like Joe and I say, we, we mm-hmm. started a men's rosary rally. You know, we mm-hmm. started our own little thing. Talk about what you guys do. Yeah, the American Society for Defense, the tradition, family, property, we're a civic organization of Catholic inspiration. That means we're laymen, we're, and we're involved in society. Uh, and and that's that's largely the the, the reason why we we we're set up the way we we are is because you know we we feel we have a special role to play in the in the actual society not just a let's say a devotional role liturgical role or you know like like uh, let's say priests would do but we say well no we need to be out there we need to uh, to uh, to get the the uh, social teachings of the church out there into where, where they're needed. And we do this through books and publications, through uh, public campaigns on the street, um, youth programs, um, you know, uh, America Needs Fatima is one of our outreaches, uh, all sorts of, of different programs uh, uh, called Chivalry Camps for Youth, you know, uh, all kinds of programs that introduce these ideas that are so needed in our temporal society because that's where we're that's where we're concentrated. We want to be inside society, uh, you know, to be that leaven, to be to to have that influence that we need to have. And you're a you pl- you're planting seeds. That's oh, yeah, all that always, is. Yeah. and they're good seeds, and they'll bear fruit. There's no question in my mind. And mm-hmm. another thing I love about your organization is you're in it. You know, you're not on the hill, like, hiding. Right. You're in society. You go to the trouble. I right. mean, that's what a man does. I was going to mention along those lines, very, I've seen the videos on YouTube and, and praying rosary rallies in front of abortion clinics and different places. There's a lot of courage going on at TFP because it's one thing to sit behind a microphone, and it's important to do. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and it takes a level of courage. Um, but I know from my own personal experience, praying in front of an abortion clinic with counter protesters is not a pleasant thing. Guys from the TFP are doing it on university campuses. They're doing it in front of abortion clinics. A lot of courage going on. John, in about 30 seconds, where could people find your book? Where can they buy the book? You can go to returntoorder.org. There you can get it in any of its forms, uh, ebook, I, I, uh, audiobook. Uh, there's a, a free uh, workbook edition. There's a hardbound edition. There's a um, uh, softbound edition. So it's just, uh, you can get it there. And, and of course, no, you, you shouldn't get it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, yes. 
No Amazon. All right. right okay. Turn to order.org. And uh, for all of you out there, look up John Horvat the second. Do a do a Google search, even though we got to get rid of Google soon, too. <laughs> um, and you'll see a lot of John's articles. John writes in Crisis Magazine, amongst other uh, outlets. And I will encourage everybody. His recent article on Jordan Peterson was very good. We didn't have time to get into it today. Um, but it is a great uh, read for those of you who know who Jordan Peterson is. Now you know who John is. Um, we suggest you go and read that article and many of John's articles. So, John, we have to leave it there. And we want to thank you for coming on the show. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please download the app, Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course. Like, subscribe, <laughs> share, do all that fun stuff, and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>